Opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Paradigm Shift. I'm your host, Jill Shi. We are broadcasting live on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Today, we will be focusing on the gender wage gap in the U.S. Uh, This uh, pay gap refers to the difference in men's and women's median earnings. And it has been reported that on average, women are still earning less than men in virtually every single occupation. Today on the program, we'll be weighing in on why this gap still exists, whether or not the statistics that are out there in the general public are painting the whole picture, and what women can do if they feel they are not being paid fairly in the workplace. So for starters, some of you will remember that this issue was highlighted at the start of the year during Patricia Arquette's acceptance speech for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars. So let's hear her, let's hear the clip. To every woman who gave birth, to every taxpayer and citizen of this nation, we have fought for everybody else's equal rights. It's our time to have wage equality once and for all and equal rights for women in the United States of America. Uh, this is KUCI in Irvine. I'm Jill Shea of Paradigm Shift. And again, we're talking about the gender wage gap. And to help us dig deeper into this issue on today's program, we have a pretty stacked interview lineup. Uh, we have Sherry Loveland, who is the president of the National Women's Political Caucus of California, and Professor David Frederick from Chapman University. Um, we also have Ernie Hafner, who is the attorney advisory at the U.S. Equal Opportunity, uh, excuse me, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So let me start by setting the scene here. Uh, in 2013, it was reported that women were earning 78 cents to every dollar a man earned. And that was the statistic that set off national debate and discussion. So essentially, the median annual earnings in the U.S. for women and men working full-time year-round were roughly 39000 and 50000 respectively. So that's a 22% pay gap. And these statistics are from the U.S. Department of Labor. Further research conducted at the Institute for Women's Policy Research suggests that if the current pace of the gender wage gap persists, it will take 44 years for women to finally reach pay parity, and that will be in the year 2058. So in light of all these facts and figures, why does this gap exist in a society where women are almost half of the workplace, are the equal or main breadwinner in four out of ten families, and receive more college and graduate degrees than men? Experts across the country have come up with varying answers to this question. Um, Sherry Loveland, who we'll be listening to in a little moment, uh, leads a a political women's organization called the National Women's Political Caucus, which has several groups in Northern and Southern California. As part of its mission statement, NWPC recruits, trains, and supports pro-choice women candidates who support their bottom line issues. And one of their bottom line issues is equal pay for equal work. So let's hear Sherry's thoughts on the gender wage gap. This is Paradigm Shift on KUCI 88.9 FM. We are speaking to Sherry Loveland. Sherry is the president of the National Women's Political Caucus of California. And uh, she just took over uh, in January. Uh, Sherry, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. 
I want to start by reading, uh, first of all, the NWPC mission statement, which is right off your website, and it says that the National Women's Political Caucus is a multicultural, intergenerational, and multi-issues grassroots organization dedicated to increasing women's participation in the political process and creating a true women's political power base to achieve equality for all women. And, uh, you know, with that, um, you know, your organization obviously represents a, a big group of women. And uh, so my first question is, what is your organization doing to bring the issue of gender wage gap to the forefront? Well, one of the things we've been doing is um, more recently, we joined a coalition of women's organizations, or not necessarily women's organizations, but organizations that focus on um, equality and um, women and, ch- and families issues. Um, there's an organization that's fairly new. It's called A Stronger California. And they're basically a watchdog group. They watch the California legislation. And when legislation is coming up for a vote that they would like our support on, um, they send out an email blast. Um, they, it can be one bill. It can be any number of bills. And when, when they send out the blast, they not only send out um, a sample letter for your organization to sign off on, but a sample text for an individual to send to their legislator, uh, as well as a link to take action. So you put your zip code in and you find out who your legislator is and you send your message to them regarding the bill that you're concerned about. Um, that has been very effective. It's been very helpful for us um, so that we can get the word out to our membership quickly. But not just our membership. We get the member- the information out to our caucus leadership. We have nine caucuses under the state of California. And so we get those email blasts out to them. So each of those caucuses can sign on to the letter individually, but we also sign on um, as a state caucus. So it sort of puts more support behind a bill, if you will. Okay, great. So you're just keeping the communication channels open and available to your membership um, and yes. staying in constant um, update over this issue. So that's great. Right. Um, and that's one way that we also, we mm-hmm. use a lot of social media. So we get the word out as often as we can. That's great. And, um, you know, I, I do want to reference now the, I'm sure you've heard of this, the 2013 U.S. Census Bureau report which found that women make approximately 78 cents to the dollar of what men earn. Um, now, in your, in your time working with, with your caucus um, and just in your own experience, did this statistic excuse me, surprise you? And uh, what have been your personal experiences with the gender wage gap? Um, the statistic surprised me a few years back when I first heard it, and actually used to be around 70 cents on the dollar. So it's gone up, but even at, you know, eight cents, it's obviously not enough. Um, So, you know, in my experience, in my work experience, I haven't really um, experienced that so much myself. Um, I actually have negotiated uh, salaries when I've been on interviews. but I can say, I, I, the one thing I've always thought is that, and it says it in that article that you're referring to, women are always worried that if they bring up, if they start negotiating, they're going to lose that job offer. That's always in the back of my head when I was negotiating salaries. Um, I'm lucky enough now that I can actually just do this full-time, uh, volunteering my time with NWPC. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been out of the workforce for a while. But, uh, you know, with my daughter, she's going through the exact same thing now. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of these where I think women need to become more assertive and they need to become more comfortable being assertive um, and not worry about possibly losing that job offer if they bring up, you know, that they, re- they would like to have a higher salary than what they're being offered. Okay. And just for our listeners, thank you. Um, We are quoting from a business article published this month in Global Daily. And, um, you know, I I feel as a woman, too, I agree. Um, 
in terms of this negotiating salary, uh, do you feel that, um, you know, women need more training or education in this area? I mean, what was it for you that when you were in that, that room negotiating your salary, what was the, the push for you to, hey, you know, I, I deserve this, I, I need this amount? Was that training? Was that mentorship? Uh, neither. Um, I had just seen the salaries of um, similar corporations of, you know, for the same position, and and they were women in those positions, but I I was being offered a much lower rate in, in this one case, and I just thought, no, the, this is the fair salary. The one that I'm being offered is not, and if they don't accept my, you know, counteroffer, then I'll go elsewhere. Mm. Um, and so I negotiated, and I wound up getting it, so it worked out for me. Yeah, it's good for you. <laughs> And so then, in your opinion, I mean, I know you work with a broad range of women um, or, you know, hear stories or, you know, interact with them. In your opinion, why why do you think this gender wage gap exists today? I mean, why is it still going on? I mean, we've got race relations, other issues coming to the forefront, but this is is, is still there and n- not much movement on it. Why do you think that right. is? I think part of it is that um, most of the corporate leadership is still male, and until the men who are in leadership recognize that we women are just as bright, um, probably more productive, in my opinion, because, you know, as a mom, we can do 10 things at once. Mm -hmm. Um, When they start to recognize that women deserve to, to make the same salary that they do, that's the only time, that's when it's going to shift. Um, now, having said that, I think that there are a lot of men in these corporations that do get it, um, and they are moving in the right direction. Um, my hus- The company that my husband works for, he's a partner with them, they have a, a wonderful program. Um, they even have a, an office on diversity, and it is headed by a woman who is a partner with the firm. And um, they are actually members of the, they've become a member of the He for She program. Uh, they have all kinds of mentoring. They, they pair women partners with some of the management staff that are trying, you know, headed on the partner path and so that they can mentor them and show them, you know, what needs to be done as a woman, especially to make partner. Um, so, you know, until one, when companies begin to not just think of that as, oh, this is something we, we should do, um, and just actually do it without even really thinking about it, you know, make it become such a normal part of their corporate culture that no one even really thinks that, oh, they're doing this so that women can get ahead. I think that's really when it's going to shift. Right, I understand. And, uh, yes, these, uh, this issue... Uh, Studies are showing that it has not, companies have acknowledged that this is an issue, um, but again, the numbers have not quite budged in over a decade, so um, that's where we're at right now. uh, I also, I I do think that it really is going to take an act of Congress, uh, you know, to get that wage gap um, so that there is no wage gap. And there's a huge fight in Congress these days um, against it, Um, and until... We get more of the, there are even some women who have voted against it. So until we get them on board, I don't think any legislation will pass. Now, that's at the congressional level. Here in California, um, obviously, California is known for being much more progressive. Uh, They are working on it. We've got a bill there. It's SB uh, 328, 358, um, that just passed the Senate, and it is on the way to, I think it's the Assembly Judiciary Committee, um, and there's a hearing on July 7th. So, you know, if there's anybody that's in the Sacramento area that would care to hear, listen to a hearing and um, speak during public comments in favor of this, you know, please attend. Go on the uh, mm-hmm. state website and you can find out all that information. Yes, and Sherry, you brought something up now um, that was is interesting and you, you talk about women also voting against this 
Um, there are also cases where there are women in leadership positions. Um, and, you know, those are, whether that's growing or scarce, I mean, I'm not sure where the numbers are on that, but we have a lot of women leaders. Um, do you feel that women in leadership positions are doing enough to advance, encourage, or mentor other women in the workplace, meaning, you know, bring up our sex in, in, in positions where the, the salaries are a little higher? Or do you feel that we are, we're harder on our own sex as women? Um, I think in historically women have been a little bit harder and I think that's, this is my own opinion. I don't have any statistics on this, but I think that the reason they've been harder on others is because they had to scratch and claw their way to the top and they expect the others to do it. And that it's a little competitive, uh, especially as you progress in your career, because as you know, there are fewer and fewer women at the top of the corporate ladder. So they, I think they feel a little bit threatened um, by other women that may be taking, trying to take their job. I have seen that shift, though, in the past four or five years. Women are finally starting to understand that they need to mentor each other. They need to pass the baton so that when they retire, they have another woman to stepped into their shoes. I attended a, um, a training at conference last year with the uh, police, Los Angeles Police Department, and it was, all, it was for female officers only, and it was all about how to mentor each other and stop um, trying to push the, other, push the, the younger women uh, away who are just now coming up the ranks. Um, and there was a lot of discussion about how they felt like they shouldn't be seen together because then, you know, the male counterparts will make comments that, oh, you know, it's the, it's the girls' club. You can't get into their club, you know. So they, didn't, they felt threatened by that. They felt like if they were seen with the other female officers that things would be said. Hmm. Yeah, so that, that's changing a little bit, too at least in Los Angeles. Okay, and thanks for that. I, I want to, you mentioned that you are a, a mother and you have yourself a daughter, correct? Right. And um, I want to read a, a quote and see what you think about this. It's, it, it's, and this is kind of, I bring that up because we do need to be thinking about the future generations as well. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, this quote says, studies and research suggest that the root of the issue lies not with employers unwilling to pay equally, but that the pay gap is actually reflective of the differing career paths that men and women are drawn toward. This angle argues that women, due to a variety of factors such as the desire to preserve work-life balance and raise a family, tend to stick to careers with more flexibility that are often less lucrative. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on this, um, whether personally or, you know, in your, what, what you've noticed, do you find that this is the case, that women are tending to, in this day and age, want to preserve their work-life balance and stick to some careers with more flexibility? Yeah, I, I do think that is part of it, um, and I think that's just our nature. Um, but I also see more spouses um, stepping in and taking uh, more of a 50% role um, rather than mom taking on, you know, 90% of the child rearing and dad only taking 10% on, um, they're becoming much more equal in that role. Um, but an example, this is a perfect example of um, my, my husband's company. They try and try to um, advance the women in their company. And uh, uh, his firm is the majority, they're, it's an accounting firm. They do a lot of auditing. Not much traveling there. Mm -hmm. But in my husband's role, he's actually a cybersecurity consultant. He travels all the time. Mm -hmm. And he hires women. And, you know, when they go to start their families, they wind up backing off of that and go into a different division. Um, and so, yeah, that I, I do see where a lot of women just, they would much rather be the ones that are home with their children not traveling so much, um, and, you know, and that's okay. And I think a lot of these women understand 
the the reason they're not advancing in their careers or or um, you know, they're not advancing because they're staying. They chose to take a lesser role. But having said that, if they're still in a say an executive position, but they're not traveling all the time, they should still be making the same amount of money as their male counterpart. And uh, then um, my last question is, you know, this this remains to be a, a polarized issue with women. <laughs> you know, we we're not quite like you mentioned earlier, united on all of this. Um, so what, what is it going to take? I mean, is it still m- more discussions or, um, you know, do we, do we go for 100% equality? I mean, where do, you, where do you stand on that? I would like a 100% equality. Um, but I think there does need to be more discussion on it. But um, I think... One of the reasons we haven't really progressed in that area is that um, we haven't banded together the way, say, Martin Luther King brought the forces together to march in Selma to, you know, bring equality to African Americans. Um, And just, you know, more recently, as recent as last Friday, the Supreme Court ruling stating that gay marriage um, is, you know, the law of the land. That came about because the forces banded together and said, enough is enough. We want equality. And I think that's where all these organizations that support equal pay for women need to band together, you know, converge on Washington, D.C. if we have to, and just say, you know what, enough is enough. It's time to pass a bill that makes it illegal to pay a man more than his um, female counterpart for the exact same work. There needs to be transparency. Women need to make the same amount of money uh, as, as their male counterparts doing the same job. It's time. It's 2015, for heaven's sakes. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Wonderful. Well, Sherry Loveland, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you today. The EEOC, or the U.S. Employment Opportunity Commission, is the agency women can turn to if they feel they are being discriminated upon in the workplace. So here to talk to us about employer rights pertaining to the gender wage gap, uh, we have uh, Ernie Hafner. Uh, Mr. Hafner is the attorney advisory for the Office of Legal, uh, Office of Legal Counsel at the EEOC. Mr. Hafner, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Hi. Um, Hi. To start our interview, I want to ask, um, as the attorney advisory, are you the one reviewing the discrimina- uh, discrimination cases that get filed at the EEOC? Uh, actually, I'm, I'm just one of many attorney advisors, okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out. Um, right. But, but no, I'm, I'm not the person who reviews uh, claims of discrimination. I, I work in an office where we sort of provide general legal advice okay. and um we we issue policy. Uh, the individuals who review claims are located in our offices throughout the country, field offices. So um, if you live in California and Los Angeles, you would file a claim in Los Angeles, and somebody out in Los Angeles would uh, review and look into the um, the alleged discrimination. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. And um, mm-hmm. can you briefly describe, I mean, I know this is all over your website, um, but what is the, the process for a woman who feels she's not receiving the amount of money she should at work? What, what, how does, what does that entail? Well, there, there are two main laws that we enforce that prohibit sex-based uh, wage discrimination. One is Title VII of the Civil Rights of uh, 1964. That's the law that um, created the EOC. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary, and there's a lot of information on our website. Uh, and the, the other law, which a lot of people have heard about, uh, gets a lot of attention, is the Equal Pay Act. That was actually passed one year before uh, Title VII. That was passed in 1963. And so you can um, come to the EEOC, like I said, to Los Angeles uh, in our office if you live out there. We have offices um, in Philadelphia and New York, you know, depending on what your geographic region is. So if you believe you've been discriminated against, you come to us um, or you can write to us and and you, you file something called a charge. 
Now, one thing that's important to recognize is that under um, Title VII, you're required to file a charge, and when you file that charge, we do an investigation to see if we think there's discrimination. And then if we think there's discrimination, we try to reach some sort of um, agreement with the employer, which, which is voluntary. Um, but under the Equal Pay Act, uh, you, you can go directly to court, so that's important to recognize. So a lot of claims of equal pay discrimination are covered under both statutes, both Title VII and the Equal Pay Act. And under the Equal Pay Act, you can go directly to court. Uh, you don't have to come to the EEOC. And, but under Title VII, if you want to allege uh, wage discrimination, then, then you do have to come to the EEOC. Most people actually file under both laws and because uh, most think most most forms of uh, sex-based wage discrimination are going to be covered under both laws so most people end up coming to the EEOC but you don't have to uh, if you just file under the Equal Pay Act okay and um, yeah we see these two two laws there that um, that that help uh, protect employees which you just mentioned but one of my questions is when when as well the legal advisor um, and you're looking at these cases of Equal Pay Act, how, how can it be proven that a woman is, is making less wages or not receiving the same benefits, for example, or holiday pay than a male counterpart in the same mm-hmm. position? I mean, what, what criteria, and especially since a lot of companies are not disclosing their salary ranges and things like that? Mm-hmm. Well, what, one of, generally discrimination is shown or under the Equal Pay Act, technically, you don't actually have to show d- discrimination, meaning the employer doesn't have to actually in- intentionally discriminate. So in some cases, it can just sort of be an accident, even under the Equal Pay Act. But because I was, I was listening to the person before me, but usually what, what you do is there's somebody, you know, of the opposite sex generally performing the same job, you know, or, or something very similar, pretty much the same work. And if that individual, um, you know, if, if, so if you have a male counterpart doing the same job as a, as a female employee, so if you have two people serving burgers in a, in a fast food restaurant and the male employee is being paid more than the female employee, then the question arises, why is the male employee being paid more? And so, you know, we look into that. You ask the employer, why is the male employee being paid more, and then we see if the evidence ba- bears that out, essentially. And under the Equal Pay Act, the employer essentially has to, sh- has to show that that's the real reason. Title VII technically is slightly different. You, ha- you have to show that the employer's reason is, is not the real reason. You have to show that the employer intentionally discriminated. But, you know, as a, as a practical matter, usually if you can show a violation under one, then you can show a violation under the other law. I mean, you did mention an important issue about wage um, information, and sometimes employees don't know wage information, and um, it's it, it can be difficult to get to get access to that information. And so, you know, somebody suspects he or she is being discriminated against and files a charge with us. EEOC can get that information, but. There can be cases like in the case of Lily Ledbetter where you don't, you might not know because of empl- employer, you know, the access to pay information can be hidden, so that that can present a difficulty. Okay, and just kind of piggybacking off that, so with with a lot of employers not knowing, right? And I'm looking at this uh, a document on the EEOC website that lists the Equal Pay Act charges that were filed. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like just last year, um, 2014, 938 Equal Pay Act charges were filed, um, and it, it doesn't look like with from from 1997 till 2014, the numbers of those charges kind of stay within the range of 900 to a thousand, uh, something like that. It, mm-hmm. Is that why? Can that explain why um, there there's only that number of charges being filed? There is. They're just that at staying at that number. Well, I mean, it's sort of hard to speculate. I mean, mm-hmm. one, you know, one criticism, you know, some people have, have said that the EEO, that the Equal Pay Act would be a stronger law if it were easier to get access to pay information. The um, Paycheck Fairness Act, which has been um, proposed, I think it's gone before Congress a couple of times. It's never passed, but I, I think every version of, of, of this bill has had a provision which prohibits discrimination or retaliation against employees who who discuss their their wage information because some employees uh, 
you know, are afraid to discuss it. Some employers will have specific policies saying you can't discuss wage information. And I think that's less common now, but it, this is a policy that still does exist. And it's, it's unclear under the laws that the EOC enforces whether it would be illegal to fire somebody, you know, who, who you know, violated a policy against discussing pay information. I, th- I think the NLRA, the National Labor Relations Act, does um, prohibit discrimination because they prohibit this. Uh, it's called concerted activity. So discussing your wages would be a form of concerted activity. Um, but it's less clear if it's covered under the under Title Seven and the Equal Pay Act. Okay, and then moving to something, uh, another topic here. Um, as the legal advisor, wh- when do you? Under what circumstance, basically, should a woman decide to sue? I mean, after going through the whole process, you know, what what's what's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, that's always a you know a personal thing. I mean, if if somebody thinks you know she's been subjected to discrimination, then certainly um, it, you know it's it's covered by Title Seven, and she, she can file a charge of the EEOC or the Equal Pay Act. But like I said, Equal Pay Act, you can go directly to to court, if she can't get information, then it might be easier to get to get information by filing with the EEOC. But it's it's best to have information, you know, your, when you come to the EEOC that you know that we can, um, because we do have limited resources. But but you know because of the, we have the authority to force the employer to provide information basically, so we can look into an investigation. Um, but you know, I, I think if if it looks like somebody has a strong case, and that would be up to that particular individual, she whether she wanted to pursue it, and you know, a lot of cases that that'll be resolved by the em, employer, um, and you know, so you see like the cases when people file, the numbers to some extent are going to be low because it's possible people talk to the employer and that they address these particular issues. Um, so it's not really clear necessarily. Why, why numbers are low, uh, and the Equal Equal Pay Act is a fairly narrow statute, and so some of the wage wage discrimination claims are going to be under Title VII because um, wage can be wrapped up in things like promotion and other things like that can affect can affect your wages because um, Equal Pay Act, like I said, is a fairly narrow statute. It's just covered with respect to discrimination. You have to be doing the same job as somebody else as well. Right. And I guess I just to clarify, I asked that question just like you mentioned the the numbers of the of these cases going to lawsuit are um, are low. But I, w- I was thinking in my mind that if more people would do that, uh, it could possibly force the issue or you know provide more change on this topic. So I was just asking about that. Um, but mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of going back to these uh, the Equal Pay Act charges. Can you explain uh, the difference between reasonable cause and unreasonable cause on these cases? Because I, I've noticed that there are a lot more cases of unreasonable cause. So is that a, a good or bad thing? Um, well, I don't know that it's a good or mm-hmm. bad thing necessarily. I mean, it's it's good in the sense if if you think that you know it it, it reflects that most of the charges that we get when we do an investigation. Um, that we we don't find sufficient evidence where we think there's a violation. That's effectively what reasonable cause means. Um, mm. But, but um, there's a there's a number. I, I don't have the chart directly in front of me. I think it's called merit-based determinations. And and so some causes, if if a charge is filed with us, sometimes it'll it'll settle or it'll be withdrawn because the employer will offer benefits. So. If somebody has a strong case after they file a charge, um, you know, the EEOC a lot of times won't finish doing an investigation and make a reasonable cause finding because the employer decides that it look, you know, it looks like the employer should settle or, you know, resolve it uh, voluntarily before we complete our investigation. We, you know, we also do mediation. And that's a, you know, you know, voluntary way of sort of trying to resolve things before we do, we do an investigation. And that's, um, a lot of claims are resolved th- that way, but you know the the tr- and this is true for all charges we receive. The vast majority of charges are are re- where we don't find reasonable cause, and that doesn't mean there isn't discrimination. It's just based on the investigation that we we did. We couldn't find sufficient evidence of discrimination. Okay. Um, 
but it you know it doesn't mean that there there wasn't discrimination. It's just that we didn't find discrimination. Okay. And then uh, my last question, Mr. Hafner, you mentioned that uh, your agency is celebrating its 50th anniversary. Um, would you like to speak to any of the progress that the EEOC, EEOC has made in uh, countless workplaces throughout the country or any um, particular areas of priorities that you'll be focusing on? Yeah, well, yeah, pay discrimination is, is one of the, we currently have a strategic enforcement uh, plan, and one of the priorities, I think there's six priorities, is um, equal pay, and so this is one of the focuses. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the EOC is 50 years old, and the Equal Pay Act is um, like 50, like 63, so it's 52 years old, and um, people will talk about the pay gap a lot of times, and that's obviously something that's de- decreased. Uh, but there are a lot of areas in which, you know, you still have a lot of pay issues. Uh, negotiation is an area, you know, that, that comes up prior salary. So you get some employers that will rely on prior salary. Um, and, and so if a man made more in his prior workplace, and it, it could be based on discrimination, uh, then this may be carried over. So these are the kinds of areas where I, I think um, – that are important to to look at. I mean, you, it's less common to have sort of blatant discrimination, but these forms of more subtle discrimination, like women don't negotiate or the way men and women interact, you may be less willing, or you assume that a woman want to neg- wouldn't want to negotiate, and so you end up paying the man more because he negotiated or you negotiated differently with them. So I think these are, you know, sort of at the forefront. These are the kinds of things that are going to really be important to address in the future to help minimize the the pay gap. Um, And we do have a a lot of information on the website. Negotiation is is mentioned up on there um, because on the main the main page there's a, a thing on um, the 50th anniversary, and then there's a link on Equal Pay Day for people who are interested in that information. Well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, uh, we appreciate you having you on the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Um, and then Chapman University professor David Frederick contributed his thoughts on the gender wage gap as well, uh, according to Frederick. Through the use of experimental and correlational research, the pay wage gap can be contributed to much more than meets the eye. Good afternoon. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM. This is Paradigm Shift. Our topic today is the gender wage gap. And we have here on the phone uh, David Frederick. He is the assistant pro- professor of psychology at Chapman University. He's been there since 2012. Uh, welcome, Professor Frederick. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Um, sir, I've been reading in your bio that you do teach research methods, and this is um, teaching your students correlational research designs to understand studies on current issues. Um, some fancy words there to also address some of your research on gender wage gap. How did you get involved with this issue? Uh, well, part of it was really interested in uh, how economic transfers and decisions get made early in courtship. So when it comes to paying for dates, who do people feel should pay? Should it be the guy? Should it be the woman? And then when do people start to feel that there should be more of an equal sharing? So pretty much everyone agrees the guy should pay for the first date but then how people then from there go on to decide how much the guy should pay, how much the woman should pay, and sharing dating expenses. There's, there's quite a degree of variability between men and women in their attitudes, and which is very different than 40 years ago. So that kind of first sparked my interest in how people start making these decisions about finances in the context of relationships, and then that opens up the door to thinking more generally what is the what wages are men and women bringing to relationships? Are they being treated fairly in their workplace? Is there a difference in wealth between men and women, and, and why? Okay. And so once you started taking a deeper look then at the gender wage issue, what what has your research found, or what, what do you find that the reason for this gap is, and does it actually boil down to st- statistics, or is it an issue of discrimination in, in your research? Well, so I think everyone's heard the statistic that women make 78 cents for every dollar that men make. And so 
In a sense, that's true. Overall, men do have much more purchasing power overall than women. But there, there's actually quite a bit of debate about that wage gap. Because some people claim that's really misleading, that there really isn't that much of a wage gap. And so the truth is actually a bit more complicated. So one thing is, though, that 78 cents for every dollar figure is very misleading. So one, if you're just comparing full-time working men to full-time working women, there's still a lot of variation within those groups. So men, for example, work a lot more hours per week than women do. Men are more likely to be working in higher-paying fields that involve the production of things, so they tend to be more likely to be in engineering, whereas women tend to be in lower-paying fields that involve services for people like social work. And men often face the are more likely to face the pressure of being the primary breadwinner in the family, and women are more likely to take time off work to raise kids, and all those factors kind of enlarge the wage gap. So what we can do uh, through the power of statistics, through a method called linear regression, is you can actually control for all those differences between men and women, and then basically start to compare apples to apples, compare women and men who have the same education and the same types of jobs, who work the same amount of hours, and once you start comparing those apples to apples, women tend to make roughly 90 to 95 cents for every dollar that men make. So there's, there still is a wage gap, but it's not as dramatic as the, the 78 cents for every dollar figure would, would seem to suggest. So that's what the critics of the wage gap say, but there there's still some things that they miss when they're making those points. Okay. So, Professor, can you lay out your these these research methods i mean you do teach this in your class correct uh yeah so this is kind of one of those classic examples that's good to cover in a research methods class because there's a statistic out there that everyone knows but you need to start thinking about well what are those third variables what are those other factors that differ between men and women mm -hmm. that might explain the wage gap is it discrimination is it number of hours per week work is it education level? What is actually producing that wage gap between men and women? Okay, so it's just a more expansive um, view, view of the statistics, and you, you're opening it up to the other variables. Is that what's going on? Yeah, so what, one of the things that we try and teach our students is that any time that you hear that one thing is associated with another, any time that you hear that, for example, uh, a, a fun one is that on days where more ice cream is sold, there are more murders. That is a true fact. We know that to be true. But it's unlikely that ice cream is causing people to go on these crazy murder binges. There's probably some third variable that is associated with both ice cream sales and with murder. So something like temperature. The hotter it is, the more likely people are to buy ice cream. The hotter it is, the more likely people are to be frustrated and commit violence. So you always want to be looking for what are those third variables that might explain the association between two things. And so here, number of hours work, discrimination, things like that that are associated with gender and also associated with pay uh, can help us explain why there's that gap between men and women. Okay, great. Um, and then kind of getting, circling back to what you said earlier, you started uh, your research based on... Um, another topic on who should pay for dates and you were quoted as, quoted as saying you know these traditions traditional norms kind of die hard um do you believe then that also i mean it also has been reported that one of the reasons why women don't ascend in the pay scale is because they opt for less challenging jobs uh, meaning that they would prefer to take care of their families or you know not travel those types of things um what do you think about that is there is that also a factor? I mean, other things like this, we need to challenge other traditional roles for women, too? Yeah, so when you're, you're looking at the wage gap, um, there's sort of a gender difference where women tend to be more people-oriented in terms of their career preferences. And so um, that's one of the things that explains why women have a lower salary on average than men do, is that they're going into these fields that tend to be more people-oriented that aren't producing products that can be sold and therefore um, generally don't have as high pay. So they're kind of prioritizing more than men the uh, importance of, of a job that feels kind of emotionally satisfying. So whereas men, uh, in addition to not having as much of that predisposition, they're also more likely to 
their women to be feeling the pressure to be the breadwinner in the family because not only is it important for them to be bringing finances into the family, they're also facing social pressure to kind of fulfill that ideal of masculinity that they've been taught from when they were young. And so they have uh, uh, more pressure in some ways in a traditional uh, gender role framework to try and pursue those higher paying jobs. So I think you know, gender roles certainly play a role, but there's other ways that gender roles play a role as well. So women tend to be more hesitant than men about negotiating forcefully for raises. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of that is reasonable because for people who hold to more traditional gender roles, uh, bosses will view assertive women differently than they view assertive men. And so there's this tricky uh, factor that women need to deal with when they're attempting to negotiate for raises that men are, are not likely to face. Okay. And then um, from you, you also have social psychology in your background. I mean, from that perspective, do you think companies are still leaning toward hiring men? Um, because we talked about a little earlier, there are some some stereotypes still in existence, um, such as, you know, men are better at focusing in one task at a time, navigating directions, women are better at multitasking, these types of things. Do you think that there's still that that stigma also to get, uh, get over? Yeah, so I think uh, this is one case where some of the research methods, uh, the arsenal that we have in our research methods toolkit can really help us examine some of these questions. So most of what you hear about in the news is based on these correlational studies where they're just associating gender with income. Mm -hmm. But what social psychologists will do is they'll actually do experiments. So they'll make up a bunch of resumes that uh, are exactly the same, except it either has a male name or a female name, and then send those out to hundreds and hundreds of jobs and they'll see not only who's more likely to be hired, but what salary are they offered. So in one recent study, uh, they actually sent these applications to professors, and both male and female professors offered the women 10% less in salary than they offered the men to be their lab manager. So if you're offering a guy $30,000 to start as your lab manager, the professors were on average offering the women only $27,000 to start. So there is still this real wage gap that's based on discrimination, and then um, so it's nowhere near the $0.22 cents gap that you would think from the $0.78 cents for every dollar, but there still is a gap between men and women that can be partially explained by discrimination. And by harnessing the power of experiments, we can actually show that uh, discrimination is part of the cause for that wage gap. Okay. And then... Where does this go? Because, you know, we, we, you, we can do the research, you guys can break down the data, um, but where does it go to some, after that to so, sort of more a tangible movement? I mean, and then also, the second question to that is, why do you think women have not quite banded together to maybe address this in a, in a more broader sense? Uh, well, so there's so kind of two things going on there. So one is, you know, we do all this research, and it gets out in the news, and then what happens? And I think when you, in this sort of situation where you have a, a really strong body of evidence, it really does start to affect not only public policy at the governmental level, but also policies within different organizations. Because po- different organizations, one, they want to make sure they're getting the best people for the job, and the only way that you can get the best people for the job is to offer them competitive salaries. And so if they're systematically offering women lower salaries, they're going to be at a disadvantage for recruiting them. And so it's pretty standard now for people on job search committees to go through training from human resources to avoid these kind of biases, to sort of make people aware of them and to then teach them to uh, only evaluate the criteria and to remind people that certain types of discrimination are illegal. So, for example, discrimination based on pregnancy status mm-hmm. or other concerns that people might have in their head that, that that's not only unethical but also illegal. And so that's part of how change happens from research. It gets out to enough people that starts to change the practices of businesses and policies. So in terms of why women haven't banded together, well, so I mean, there are certainly some groups within the uh, feminist uh, activist movements that have made wage gap a, a important 
part of their, their platform. I think part of the issue, though, is even though we know women make less than men and we know that at least some percentage of that is due to discrim- discrimination, mm-hmm. most women don't feel they've actually been discriminated against at work. So there was a survey conducted by the Pew organization, and they just straight point out, ask men and women, do you believe you've been discriminated against at work? because of your gender. And only 18% of men, or sorry, only 18% of women and 10% of men said they felt they'd been discriminated against because of their gender. Mm -hmm. And so only a minority of people are actually perceiving or feeling discrimination. And when you have that small minority, it would be hard to generate a movement of people kind of banding together. Okay. And then, um, I don't know, you said something earlier that I thought was very interesting about... um, was it about you know just the the way that women view are in, in negotiations are not you know if they are assertive there's a certain viewpoint of, of that type of woman in the workplace so you know what 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 more can they you know women do in, in, in negotiating their salaries then I mean and even just in the workplace in managing roles um, why is there that viewpoint of women that either you're aggressive or you're submissive. I mean, there's only, you know, a couple of viewpoints on that. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so this has obviously started to change dramatically in the last 30 or 40 years, but there's been a very long history of, you know, men are supposed to be assertive, aggressive, um, they're supposed to really go after what they want, whereas women are supposed to be sort of sweet and kind and gentle. And so when you have those stereotypes of what men and women are supposed to be like, and you still have people who believe that that's what men and women are supposed to be like, then if you start to step outside of that role, then you're going to potentially face sexism. So there's sort of this thing called ambivalent sexism theory that basically says there are various ways that men reward women for staying within the traditional gender roles, so things like chivalry, things like... Um, women not having to be in the military, things like men paying for dates, so this sort of idea that women are more fragile and should be protected. But people who believe in that more are also more likely to be hostile towards women who step out of their traditional gender roles, who are more assertive, who are working moms, who work uh, even though, uh, who are more aggressive and assertive. And so there's kind of this balancing act that people who have higher benevolent sexism also have higher hostile sexism. And so that does put women in somewhat of a bind if they're negotiating with someone who has those beliefs. But I think there are some concrete things that people can do. And so one is some women are hesitant to negotiate forcefully for raises because they're more concerned than men are about the relational aspect. That if you're sort of pressing upon someone else, if you're requesting something forcefully from someone else that you might be damaging that relationship. The women are more sort of prone to worry about that kind of relational issue than men are. And so part of it is, you know, maybe not being as concerned uh, about that aspect. When it comes to negotiating for money, it's sort of making it more black and white. Here's what I've done. Here's what I've done for the company. Here's how I have... um, enhance the profits of the company or increase the efficiency and uh, in exchange for continuing to do that or in exchange for taking on some additional roles like this and this and this, I'm requesting this salary. So that's kind of one strategy is to be very straightforward about here's what I've done, it's documented, here's what I'm willing to do, here's what I would need in salary to do that. But I mean, overall, when it comes to negotiating for salary, whether you're a man or a woman, by far, the thing that matters most is either switching jobs. So you tend to get a 2 to 3% raise every year on average from staying in the same job, but you tend to get a 10 to 20% boost when you change jobs because people, other jobs know they need to sweeten the deal to get you to leave your comfort zone. And so switching jobs is really the main way to get a raise, whether you're a man or a woman, or getting a competing job offer, and that's something that also guys tend to be more comfortable in doing. And so just sort of knowing what are the most effective strategies and being willing to use them is, uh, I think, regardless of men or women, is kind of the best strategies to know. 
We were just listening to David Frederick. He's the assistant professor at Chapman University. Um, as we round out our show here, um, we want to also highlight the fact that there are some women organizations uh, that do believe legislation needs to be put in place to close the gender gap. But on the other side, there are individuals and organizations who say the 78 cents figure is misleading. Uh, one of those organizations is the Independent Women's Forum, which is a nonprofit organization that believes in individual freedom and personal responsibility. Members of the IWF say that they have been working to debunk the myths surrounding the 78% gender wage gap for years. Here's a uh, two-minute uh, audio from a video clip they released on their website. talk about the wage gap. Um, Basically, are you getting paid what you're worth? What about the guy sitting next to you? You might have heard that on average, women make only 77% of what men make. That doesn't seem fair. But wait, how did they get that number? That 77% is an average that compares the salaries of all men and women with full-time jobs. But it doesn't compare apples to apples, doctors to doctors, teachers to teachers. It doesn't take into account that more men choose to be engineers and more women choose to be social workers. Or that many women take time out of the workforce and men tend to put in longer hours. The U.S. Department of Labor found that when educational and career choices are part of the equation, women make nearly the same amount as men, 94%. And other economists have found this so-called wage gap is even smaller. For example, younger, college-educated women in urban areas actually out-earn their male counterparts. So how can we maximize our earning potential? First, we've got to start early. The choices we make about our education can affect how much we'll earn when we graduate. If earning more is our top priority, then we should look at average salaries in relation to specific careers. And once we're in the workforce, we can't be afraid to speak up. Studies have shown that women tend not to ask for what they're worth. Employers naturally want to keep costs low, and it's up to each of us to take the time to negotiate a fair salary. Most employers want their female employees to be successful, but if you ever do feel like you're being discriminated against, you should say something. The Equal Rights Act of 1963 and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 both protect women from harassment and baseless gender discrimination in the workplace. Some lawmakers want the government to close the wage gap. They've introduced legislation such as the Paycheck Fairness Act that would put tighter regulations on worker pay. While the intentions may be good, these laws won't guarantee equal pay. Instead, they will lead to unnecessary regulation and open businesses up to frivolous lawsuits. These laws could make it harder for employers to reward good work, eliminate flexibility in the workplace, and make it more costly to hire female workers. We each have to consider our priorities. The truth is, men and women often make different choices when it comes to prioritizing work and family. Things like the hours we spend on the job or the time we take off to stay home can affect our salaries. As women today, we have more choices and opportunity than ever before. We aren't victims. It's all about balance and what works for you and your family. So choose what's right for you and make it happen. Your earning potential is in your hands. Uh, again, this is Paradigm Shift on KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. Our topic today has been the gender wage gap, and we've been presenting uh, different sides of, on this issue. Um, if you'd like to comment on today's show, please email paradigmshift at KUCI.org. We are concluding our, our show today. Um, and uh, thanks for listening. So tune in next Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Per usual, Beer Ambassadors with Michael Woodward is up next, so don't go anywhere.